Welcome to Just a Parishioner. I'm Lorenzo Zaragoza. I'm Sean Greeley. And thank you for downloading today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to these episodes. They are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. But the first thing that I'm going to say is welcome back to all of our listeners. I know it's been a little while since you've heard our voices, but we are so happy. We've been so excited to record another episode for you guys and get back out there. Uh, Sean, it's been quite a year for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think a little while might be putting it lightly. I think we're talking like going on 13 or 14 months since we put out our last podcast episode, but you know, it's been, it's been quite a year. Like you said, little while is a relative term and I'll stick to that. It's been a little while. Um, but the grand scheme of things, right? It, Whatever. Right. Exactly. Uh, but again, we are so, so unbelievably excited to, uh, to be back in here, uh, to be speaking to you guys and to in the future, bringing you future parishioner profiles like we've done in the past, um, giving you new stuff. Um, you know, I thought that we were, I thought we had a good thing going. Um, and we want to thank all of the feedback. I uh, thank you guys for all of the feedback that you gave us, uh, in the beginning of uh, 2021 when we first started. Uh, so we're going to ask you to do the same thing. You know, uh, if, if you like what you're listening to, uh, the biggest thing that you can do for us is share the podcast once again. You probably already shared it in the past, and we appreciate that. Uh, we're going to ask you to do it again because this is essentially a relaunch right now. Yeah, you know, I think we might have lost a few dozen followers in our hiatus, so get them back for us. Let's get them back. That's it. That's it. So again, thanks for downloading, and uh, make sure that you subscribe. Um, so there is no parishioner profile on today's episode. Uh, I think it was. It, it, I think it'd be a little bit more appropriate for Sean and I to really recap what's been going on over the last what you said, 13, 14 months in our lives. Um, a lot of highs, uh, a few lows, uh, but just recap as to number one, why we've taken that hiatus. Um, and, and, but again, all, all the things that have been, that have been going on. Sure. Yeah. You want to start with some of the highs? Let's start with some of the highs. Um, so when we were recording last year, I had three kids. Um, I believe that, uh, yeah, Katie was definitely pregnant while we were recording those, uh, those episodes. Uh, but we had our fourth, I, we had three girls and now we had the boy. So, uh, the prince has, the prince has arrived there in the family. Go. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. You had so, it in you. <laughs> so, uh, pray for my son, Lincoln Xavier Zaragoza. Uh, he's almost five months going on six months. So, uh, he's happy, healthy, and the girls love their new baby doll that they don't let go of. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's one of the highs, uh, Sean, one of the uh, couple of other, these are big highs that we're talking about. I mean, here. these are some of the biggest moments in our lives happened over the last year. And we'll just like, we just didn't share any of it with you as they were happening. So here we are now. Right? That's right. And, and, and believe me, we'll, we're going to dive deeper into the, uh, the joy of having a boy, having a big family, four kids, you know, uh, that that's for a different episode. But Sean, if you want to share some of the highs that have happened in your life. Well, to, to what Loren said, he had three children when we started recording, and now he has four. I had zero wives when I started recording, and now I have one. Dude, I thought this was your way of telling me some other thing. But, <laughs> <laughs> so, Not uh, quite. No, no, zero to one wife. Got it. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, again, congratulations to the Greeleys. You guys got married New Year's Eve 2021. Yeah. New Year's Eve. Um, well, I'll, I'll leave it to Lorenz in a second to tell you how fun the wedding was. But, yeah, just greatest greatest day of my life singular best thing that's ever happened to me is marrying my wife julia and i couldn't be had like just pure joy over the last four months or so yes and yes epic wedding i i mean when i say wedding like a lot of people when say say it's a great wedding they they're always talking about the reception but also uh, i was in the wedding party i'll say the beginning of that day 
all the way through midnight and past was awesome. But such an amazing reception. Uh, really cool side note. And I want to talk about it more on your wedding episode that we'll record one day. But I realized after the fact that my son's first exposure to the Eucharist was at your wedding uh, ceremony. And that that realization was one of the coolest that I've had looking back at your wedding. I just got chills. That's, That's right. wild. That's so wild. Strong stuff right oh, there. Oh, man. I'm glad it was a good one. Yes, it was a very good one. Um, but yeah, so awesome. Awesome stuff going on there. Yep. Anything else you want to share from, from the highs over the last year or so? Um, No. I don't know. I feel like that was the biggest one. Oh, yeah, actually. Well, we I started a new job. Um, If people didn't know that Lorenz and I used to work together. So I started a new job starting pretty much right after I got back from my honeymoon. So that's been another just big life transition. Just a lot of large things within a few months going on. But um, that's that's been going pretty well, too. And you moved, too. So if you want to talk about the biggest life changes that you could have between the two of us, add another kid, a wedding, change a job, change where you're living. A lot of big stuff. Lots of big stuff. That's yeah. right. Um, all stuff that we could cover in in other episodes for sure. Um, but today, you know, we want to talk about the real reason why we took a step back from recording last year, uh, why we, you know, why we weren't posting as much. Um, and it, it really, it, it was definitely, it set off the reason why we took this hiatus, Sean. Um, it wasn't the mice in my new apartment either. I'll say that. No, it was not. Um, so unfortunately, uh, last year, um, we, you know, Sean, you went through a, uh, one of the, one of the worst tragedies that we could go through in our lives. Right. Mm. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, Sean's father, um, got pretty ill last year, pretty sick and unfortunately passed away last year. And tonight, you know, Sean is, said that he was all right with it and is actually very open to, you know, discussing the passing of his father and, and, um, everything, everything when it comes to grief within our faith. But, you know, Sean, if you, if you just want to, uh, talk on that initially. Yeah. I can kind of start at square one. Um, my dad, Timothy Greeley, he was, uh, just an incredible man, um, flawed just like everybody is, but just an incredible man. Um, he was just, you know, I could talk about him for hours and hours. I'll try to keep it shorter here, but, um, just the, the way things went in the last couple of, or the last year or so, um, well, the last couple of years, a couple of years ago, he had some heart issues start to come up and had some stents placed in a couple of his arteries, um, kind of dangerous arteries to have issues with, but he was doing okay by all accounts from his cardiologist and everything. Um, we're leading into like early 2021. He was still doing fine. Um, there were moments where, you know, maybe I should have been a little more concerned than I was. Um, you know, just going for a short walk, he'd lose his breath pretty easily, that kind of stuff. And he was just the kind of guy that, you know, he was, he would tell you he's fine and you just believed him because he was, he, he couldn't, um, he couldn't not do anything, you know? So, run, uh, comes around March 2021. Um, and you know, this was around the time when a lot of people were like seeing a hope for the end of COVID This is when vaccines started rolling out. He got his vaccination and everything like, um, all this, all this stuff where like the world was about to reopen. Um, my wife and I, I had just gotten engaged about three months prior. Uh, my younger brother had gotten engaged in the November of 2020. So we were 
everybody was just looking forward to the weddings and thick of just really big celebration. Your nephew was born. Uh, my nephew was November born. Prior. Yeah, absolutely. My nephew was born in November, first grandchild for them. Um, we were really having like an incredible year as a family. Um, and not for nothing too, like my my future sister-in-law, uh, my brother's getting married in May to her. Um, she like entered the Catholic church on, uh, on the Easter vigil in 2021. And that was, uh, I think November must've been like November. Uh, I'm sorry, not November. It must've been like April 4th or April 5th last year. Um, and you know, my dad drove us all down to South Jersey where they live. And, uh, we, we all went to the church and watched her get her confirmation in the Catholic church, like just really beautiful, incredible moments as a family to all have together. Um, my older brother from Indiana came out for that. You know, he came out to, to be able to celebrate that with our future sister-in-law. Then the following week, um, on, well, the following weekend, my parents had a house down in Delaware. They were down there and my dad just started feeling a lot weaker and everything. So they drove back up to New Jersey where they live. And on April 12th, 2021, which is my dad's birthday, it was his 63rd birthday. He went to the hospital. Um, they ran some tests and realized he was having a serious, serious, um, blockage in his heart and he wasn't getting enough perfusion to his organs or anything like that. And they needed to do open heart surgery to try to correct that. So they brought him in, they did open heart surgery. Um, it was successful for what they were trying to do, but, um, his, some of his organs had just received so little blood over the, you know, probably weeks prior to that. They said he must have had a heart attack sometime in early March. And who 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 made you aware that he was going into the hospital? Who called you? Who let you know that? <laughs> My dad did. Um, yeah, I still have a voicemail from him from that day because I missed the call initially. Um, him just saying, I'm going to the hospital. Um, I don't know what's happening, but I'm, I'm okay. And, uh, you know, I spoke to him on the phone before he went into surgery. And wow. The last words I heard from him, you know, that I could hear vocally were, you know, I'm awake, I'm alert, I'm fine, I'm feeling okay. Like, you know, just say a prayer for me. Yeah. Um, I think he said that. I don't know. Maybe that's narrative I wrote in there. But either way, um, that was that was essentially the message. And went into the hospital and I never heard him talk again. You know, like he had surgery. He was in, he went straight to the um the cardiac ICU that was on Monday. He had surgery on Tuesday, I believe. And I was in New York, so I didn't get to drive home until a week of work ended. Um, drove back to New Jersey on, it must've been on Friday. And I was, it was the first time I got to go into the hospital. There was only one person a day allowed to go into the hospital because right. of the COVID rules at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I went in and spoke with the nurse and spoke with the doctor in the ICU. And up until that moment, like we had heard pretty positive things from the staff there. Like we heard that things like his levels weren't all looking great, but that happens often after surgery and people rebound pretty quickly a lot of the time. So we weren't too concerned. And then I went in and the doctor pretty much told me that she would be surprised if he made it through the next 48 hours. Um, he had, he was being uh, resuscitated with a defibrillator, like every hour, at least every 40 minutes or so. I think it was like 25 times in one night they had to defibrillate him. Um, 
And from that moment forward, my family and I just entered into like what we can only imagine is what hell kind of feels like. Like this just moment, this reality of like hopelessness. Um, I mean, we, we tried to cling to hope as much as we could, but just desperation, um, a little bit of despair mixed in there. Like how, how could this be happening right now? Um, we, we, and I don't know, we all just came together. You know, my, my brother and sister-in-law drove in from Indiana the next day because I, I told them if you ever want to see dad again, you need to get here now. Mm. Um, my brother who had gone to New Jersey to be with my mom, like just stayed there. He stayed there for the next like six or seven weeks. Um, I was trying to be there as much as possible. I would go back to New York for two or three days at a time over the next few weeks. And then I would drive back to New Jersey because I, we would hear that that was the last day again. Um, and you were there along the way, like we were working together. So you were, you were right in the thick of it as far as me. You were really the one person I was kind of sharing all this with besides my wife now. Um, it was just like chaos for me and my family. I can't, it's hard to put into words just how like horrible it was. Um, he stayed in the ICU for another four or five weeks after that with these like just ups and downs and like thinking he's going to recover and then not. And, you know, they took him off of a, uh, all of his, they took him off a lot of the medication that they were keeping him on to see if he would wake up and there were, it went like three days and he still didn't wake up. So they were about to declare him like pretty much brain dead. And then he woke up and he recovered all of his neurological function or not all of it, but a lot of it. Well, I mean, I remember there was a point where they said that he, that the chances of him recovering any neurological function are basically zero Yeah. at that point. Yeah. We thought that was the miracle we were waiting for. We really did. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it was in a way at the end of the day, but it wasn't the one that we were hoping for. Yeah. And and throughout this, in, I mean, throughout these obviously very difficult weeks, and at the time you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You, you could speculate in your head, but obviously there's part of you that have heard quote-unquote miracles in the past, and it's like maybe this is one of them, and then you get... Signs of life like this, right? L- literal signs of life like this, um, which instill a little bit more hope. Um, I, I mean, I just remember speaking to you so much throughout those months and the phrase cautiously optimistic, constantly saying the phrase cautiously optimistic, right? Because as people of faith, you know, we all didn't stop praying, but we're also very realistic people as well. So trying to balance both of those. I mean, you're probably one of the most realistic people I know. <laughs> and so trying to balance those two must have been probably one of the hardest things for you to do. It was, yeah. I mean, along the way, like my uh, brother's fiance is a neuro- neurosurgical physician assistant. So like we had some expertise coming in from like a hospital point of view. Like, I mean, and she did one of her rounds in cardiac. So we were getting like a lot of conversation between her and the medical professionals. Um I worked in hospitals with my last job. So I was like familiar with some stuff, but nowhere near the expertise that she had. But, you know, just having conversations around some of this stuff and like there, it was, they were confident that he was going to make it for a little while. And it's funny, like the ICU doctor was a strong Catholic also. And she was praying with us, like all the novenas, all the rosaries. Like I sent, I texted her like all the links to all the prayers we were doing and everything. And she was like, I'm praying this along right along with you. That's wild. She would, and <laughs> she would, she would text her. Yeah, I know. And she was like, so, and you know, she had sons and she was like, she would like cry with us and give us hugs and everything. Like 
really just incredible, incredible person. And, you know, God bless her for the role she played throughout that whole process. I mean, I think she felt bad at the end of the day because she gave us so much optimism. And she was like, I, I, I know maybe I took it a little too far. And we were like, listen, if you thought that it was it was going to end up the way you thought it was, then we would rather hear that, you know? I, if, I mean, I hope this doesn't sound rude. Was she on the older side? Was she on the younger side? She was probably in her late 50s, okay. I would say. So she's been doing this for a while. She's been an ICU doctor for 28 years last year, I think it was. And she said that she had never seen anybody recover from the state my dad was back to the point of neurological function. So number one, so the two things I take away from that, and then we'll, we'll talk more, but the two things I take away is the fact that that he got his neurological function back. And we'll, we'll talk in a little bit about why that ended up, why, you know, you think that that ended up being a miracle, even though uh, obviously he didn't recover because of it. Um, but why you felt that that's a miracle that that's a, that, that is its own little mini miracle. Yeah. Number two, and I'm taking it away from scrubs right now. And I'm sorry to reference scrubs. Well, <laughs> in I love this scrubs, conversation. So that's okay. <laughs> um, but there's a conversation that the main character, JD and Dr. Cox have. And I think, you know, exactly the conversation that I'm talking about, but he says, what's impressive is that Dr. Cox lost a couple of patients. And he said, what's impressive to me is that after all the years that you've been doing this, that you still take a loss this hard. Mm. The reason I bring that up is because for a doctor in her, let's, call it late 40s, early 50s, yeah, it's like 50s right? to 60s. Yeah. For her to be doing that that many years to cry with her patients' families and to pray with them, that's that's pretty strong stuff and and pretty remarkable for a doctor to be able to do that with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were we were very blessed. Even um like the nurse too. We had a the first nurse that was with him for most of the time, like she was the sweetest person, the nicest person I ever met. She was Christian and she would told, she let us know she was praying alongside us and everything. Um, and she, she was like eight and a half months pregnant when my dad came in and she, like, she ended up leaving a couple weeks in to go on maternity leave because she gave birth. And I mean, it's kind of cool. We were able to kind of send her gifts for her baby and everything like that. Right. So like a little relationships developed along the way. Right. And that literally day one we got there, they were like, we're going to be your best friends by the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it didn't end up the way we wanted to. So um, that didn't end up happening necessarily. But right. um, essentially, like, my dad regained neurological function to the point where he could open his eyes. He could sort of gesture that he wanted things. We could tell him, like, blink once if you want this or blink twice if you don't want it. Um, so he's able to communicate like yeah he's able to communicate with he you was guys. able to tell us if he was in pain or not to a um, point to a point where just a couple of days prior to that you're all in the mentality that y- your your dad will never communicate to you guys we ever again that's yeah. a true possibility we that, didn't think we would thought. ever get to see him acknowledge us again right and we did um his his bodily function was severely damaged and a lot of it was just from being in the ICU for so long but a lot of it was neurological still recovery um but he could like give a very very gentle squeeze of his hand so like I got to feel my dad squeeze my hand one more time you know um it's little little stuff like that there were some really just emotionally jarring days as you can imagine um there was one day where we were working with the ethicist um at the hospital and she was kind of saying like we need to ask your dad now that he's awake like if he wants to continue fighting or not because the odds are really slim for him to get out of this with any kind of like quality of life um he may be 
bedridden or wheelchair ridden. If he even gets out of here, he may be on dialysis the rest of his life if he ever gets out of here. Um, physical therapy will be a daily activity for him. So we, I, I was the one who kind of communicated that to him. I kind of pitched it to my dad, like while he's lying in the hospital bed with the family around saying like, dad, this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever done if, if you want to do this. And if the, the, it may not work, but do you want to continue like being here on this earth with us? Or like, do you want to go home to heaven? That's really like what the conversation was um, in, in less words, but he, he gave us a signal he wanted to keep fighting. So we kept fighting for him. Um, they had, you know, therapists come in to try to work with him. Um, they had psychotherapists come in, like counseling therapists, because uh, just trying to, like, figure out where his state of mind was and whether he was able to make those kinds of decisions for himself. Um, they had, uh, just because the ICU is such, like, a traumatic experience. Um, they had just a ton of, a bunch of people come out and um, trying to work with him. Um, but as the weeks went on, like, his... Livers started failing more than we wanted to see, and his kidneys didn't recover the way that they were hoping that they would. And we were in the conversation for a while of like trying to transplant three organs between his heart, his liver, and his kidney. And I remember that, yeah. Unfortunately, like they, they kept saying, they were like, "We need one of them to rebound. If we can't get one of them to function normally on their own, then we can't we can't do this. We could replace two organs. We can't replace three organs. Right. Um, and the last hope is taking his heart off of mechanical support." This was like the last Hail Mary, like throw, like the last like Luke Skywalker shooting at the Death Star kind of thing, like hoping to God that this would work was taking his heart off mechanical support and seeing if it would be able to function on its own enough to provide perfusion to the the organs. Because if we could save the heart, then there would be no liver kidney transplant. Maybe getting into the weeds a little too much here, but um they, they did the surgery, they took it off mechanical support and it was weak, but the heart was working on its own. And like, that was the <laughs> biggest glimmer of hope. And like, we were not hopeful that he was ever going to have a normal life again, but we were hopeful he was going to leave the hospital at that point to right. be able to go somewhere to get a, a transplant done. Um, but then, you know, the one day comes that we get the call that he went into, you know, uh, essentially very painful breathing. Um, they, they think something happened where his, essentially the blood stopped getting to his brain the way it was supposed to. And we were faced with the decision of, you know, you can, you can let him stay in this state, but he's not going to recover from this. Um, so we, you know, unfortunately he had to come off of life, life support at that point. Um, and my mom was there with my aunt and my brothers and I got back to New Jersey as quickly as we possibly could. Um, even if we were there, we wouldn't be allowed in the hospital because of all the rules and everything there. But that was, um, it was May 20, oh shoot, May 24th, I think last year. Yeah. Yeah. The 24th of uh, 2021. So obviously if you're keeping record, you know, it was about from early April through the end of May that we were going through this about six or seven weeks. Um, it was uh, right around the time that we stopped posting on Just a Parishioner, right? So obviously, we were a little emotionally tied up with everything. Um, and yeah, it's just been a, a crazy year since then. You know, we had the funeral over Memorial Day or after Memorial Day weekend last year. Um, I gave the eulogy at my dad's funeral and 
I don't know. It's just been adjusting to life after that. You know, me and my two brothers and our spouses and and uh, my brother's fiance. It's just trying to be there for each other and for my mom and she being there for us as much as possible. That's that's about the the um, long and short of it. I think you know. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a quick break right now, um, and then we're going to continue the conversation in regards to because uh, I have some I have some questions, you know, about that entire journey. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. All right, guys, we are back. Um, obviously, Sean just went over, you know, what happened in the couple of months uh, leading uh, up to, unfortunately, his uh, father's death at the time. Um, you know, as you were speaking, obviously, one of the toughest things that you've gone through, if not the toughest thing that you've gone through um, in your life. You said it before, you talked about novenas a little bit. So just talk to me about how prayer played, a like what role prayer played in those six, seven, eight weeks. Um, because I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you get to a point where you, you kind of throw your hands up, like it's not working. Like, like what, like what am I praying for? Mm. What are my intentions when I'm praying? You know, you, you know what you're praying for, but you look at your brother next to you and is he praying for the same thing that you are? You look at your mom, is she praying for the same thing? Like, so where did prayer play? Like what role did it play in, in those two months? Yeah. Well, first I'll say this. This was by far the worst experience I've ever had. The hardest thing that it, my I've ever gone through. I think I can confidently say that my family's ever gone through. Um, I lost my best friend when I was in middle school, and that was really traumatic and terrible. But this that feels like it was like nothing in some ways. I mean, that sounds bad to say. Like, obviously, that was horrible, too. But Maybe it's just because I'm an adult now, and or maybe it's because it was the person I've spent my entire life with. But it would this has been just so difficult. Um, but to your point, like prayer was it was like the saving grace and the thing nobody wanted to do at the same time, you know? Like thank God my family and I were all together and able to pray together. Um, my family, it's not like we've prayed together a lot in our lives. We haven't done you know, we pray before meals when we're together, but outside of that, we're not really doing much um, formal prayer in the way of novenas and rosaries and everything. But over those weeks, daily, we were getting together every single night. And if some people were away, we were video chatting them in for it. Um, we were praying novenas, we were praying rosaries. Um, the novenas were very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. And Lorenz, you know this because, you know, I was texting all my, like, you know, really good friends just with, with the prayers that we were praying and saying, like, we're doing this these days, like pray along with us if you, if you can. Um, And it was really wild. Like I mentioned some of those moments of like where grace seemed like it was showing up and miracles seemed like they were happening. They were like very consistently, I think pretty much all of them were on day nine of a novena. I was going to say like without fail day nine and to the point where my wife and I, like the first novena that you start, that that we started with you day nine, I forget what it was. You probably know, but we're like, whoa, that's wild. Yeah. But again, the realistic part of me, like always leans to what a coincidence, you know, and then it happened again. Yeah. And my wife and I are like, what's going on here? 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it happened more times than that I to think, the point I where think like three times. Yeah. yeah. Where my wife and I are like, okay, like what's going to happen? And like, and I, I hate, I hate to feel this way, but it put a lot of my faith in, it like revamped my faith in prayer. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I shouldn't have to rely on things like that personally. And I'm talking about, it's not my dad. I'm talking about one of my best friend's dads, but still it, it revamped me and it shouldn't take that to revamp my, my faith in prayer, but it absolutely did. Yeah. Um, and that's just my wife and I outsider's perspective on it. So if you want to speak to how you and your family were feeling about that. I think we were all just dumbfounded. Like we, we were walking around like, half drunk just based on emotions the entire month and it, every time like it was like day nine and we would get a call from the hospital or you know we'd check in with them and they say yeah he's doing a lot better today actually or wow he woke up today um oh we did the surgery and his heart's functioning on its own like that kind of stuff was happening on day nine and it was like to your point like it was like a restoration of faith almost it was like wow god's gonna come through like god's going to come through um and and keep this family together. And it's weird because like you you said, like, how do you what are you asking for in prayer? You know, like we very openly were um, you know, we would like kind of verbally pray a lot, just asking God for, you know, for healing for my dad, for, you know, for all of us to just stay sane through the process. But, you know, I think all of us tried to maintain a realistic point of view of like, it's not like we trust God can do miracles, but we also know that God has plans bigger than what we can understand. And none of us wanted this to happen by any means. None of us like wanted God to take this route, but we always tried to like include like God, like whatever is best in your plan, allow that to happen. Like allow, like if, and, and allow us to be able to accept it and, and love you through that. And it was horrible. Like thinking about, alternatives to my dad getting better um and then it was really put to the test when the worst happened you know we were kind of it was like a test of faith and a test of will at the end where you know we got the news that my dad passed away and we were all just absolutely broken and it was like do we keep praying and do we keep loving god and do we keep knowing that he's somehow in the thick of this or do we abandon abandon all hope at this point you know um i mean that's that's absolutely a sign. I'll, you know, I'll prop you up for a little bit because that's a sign of maturity in prayer, I think, because we've all been a point in our prayer where the latter half of that prayer is not acceptable in our heads. And what I mean by that is, well, number one, God, if it if it's in your plan, help my dad with a full recovery. Mm. And then the second part is, but if that doesn't happen, you know, give us peace and, yeah. and, and open your arms for my father. That second half takes a lot of maturity mm. and, and, th- and that maturity doesn't happen overnight. You know, you need that foundation to be able to trust that he has a plan for all of us. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, even, even with us, when, when, and I'll say that there's a lot of immaturity in my prayer now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, how often do we, I feel like the image I think of is like we come to God like a like a child throwing a temper tantrum a lot of the time. Absolutely. Like, God, this is what I want. Why can't I have it? You right. Know? God, I, I really, really, uh, you know, want to win the lottery. 
anything short of that. Yeah. You failed me. Like, yeah. like that's uh, like probably that's on the other side of the spectrum of maturity. Right. Mm-hmm. But things in between, you know, like things in between, like, God, I really want, uh, I want to date this girl, you know, <laughs> let me, uh, let her say yes to dating me. It's right. like, Oh no. All right. I guess, you know, I guess he kind of failed me there. Like everything in between it's, 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 it's getting, getting to the point of, like I said, this kind of maturity and prayer of saying, and if it doesn't happen, it's, you know, this is your will. And now we, we could, I think there are, there are spectrums of that phrase, right? Mm. Where it's kind of throwing your hands up like, well, if it doesn't happen, then I guess it's your will to the, I fully accept what your will is. Yeah. I think, and I'm not, I'm not there. <laughs> you right, know? right. No, like, well, as, as great as I'm making myself and my family sound right now, we didn't have an easy time of it by any means. You right. know? Like, I think, uh, like to your point, like, oh, well, like thy will be done. We say it every time we say the, our father and it's like, oh, well, okay. If it's God's will, I guess it's whatever. But I think to your point, like if you're not confident in a loving God, you think about God's will happening and all the horrible things that happen in our lives. It's like, Oh God must be like this evil person, this evil tyrant who's ruling over us and wants us to be miserable. You know, like, and unfortunately I think a lot of people end up with that viewpoint if they think that God's real at all. Well, that's because the phrase everything happens for a reason gets thrown around way too much. It's actually one of the phrases that I dislike the most. Mm. I was going to use the word hate. I won't use the word hate. It's one of the phrases I dislike the most because there's no rationale behind that phrase. I get it. But it's it's not there's not enough description in that. Yeah. It's everything happens for a reason, and that reason is God's reason. And caveat, we may never find out what that reason is. So we need to we need to kind of grow and accept that that's the case, right? I think that's been the most frustrating part is like I think I mean, I'm naturally I think a lot of guys are like this. I think a lot of people in general are where it's just like I want to find a solution for the problem. You know, like if something happened, why did it happen kind of deal, you know? Um, so when it comes to God, like showing up so many times through my dad's sickness and then not seemingly not showing up at the end, it's like, well, OK, God, like I that's I'm not like not not that, that that's fine, but like, OK, God, like. I trust you, but why? Like, why was this the case, you know? Um, And I've had a lot of time to reflect on it, obviously, over the last year or so. Um, I just, like, I don't know. I think of myself and my family, like, as the women and John, the apostle at the foot of the cross, like, just watching Jesus and being like, okay, like, you're God. Like, when is this going to stop? You know, like, and maybe, I don't know, like... (sighs) the way of the cross, we just had like Lent and Good Friday and everything. And we're talking about the way of the cross and the, the stations of the cross and these little moments of hope maybe where like Simon, uh, Cyrenian shows up to help Jesus carry the cross. And it's like, oh, thank God he's getting a break. Or Veronica shows up and wipes his face. And it's like, oh my God, like somebody shows up and like cleans him up a little bit. This guy doesn't deserve this. And I feel like those were the moments where the miracles seemed like they were happening along the way, where it's like, oh, like he's getting a little bit of relief. He's healing a little bit. We're making progress. And then just like being in the hospital room with him literally felt like what it might have felt like at the foot of the cross, just like helplessly next to this person that you love so deeply. And you just know there's nothing you can do about it. 
but you're hoping and trusting that there's some kind of plan at play here, you know? And then he died. And maybe that was Holy Saturday for the apostles. Like, it's over, you know? There's there's nothing here anymore. Um, Jesus is gone. My dad is gone. I can't have a conversation with him anymore. I can't feel the love that he used to give me anymore. And now it's just trying to find out when Easter Sunday is. Um, and like, I think that for me has been the most, there's so many things I can try to take away from this and so many things I can look back at, um, over the last 11 months. And I'm certainly not done processing all of this, but I think that there is Easter Sunday for me every single time I go to mass. Um, this is something I said in my eulogy for my dad where like my final hope rested on knowing that every time the Eucharist is consecrated, all of the angels and saints in heaven are falling on their knees alongside us to worship Jesus. And I can confidently say that like my faith and my, the meaning of the Eucharist to me has become so much deeper since my dad died because every time I'm on my knees praying before the Eucharist and really intently focusing on that prayer, my dad's right next to me. And I just have so much hope that I will see him again as a result of that. Um, I've never known that kind of real tangible feeling of having somebody in heaven next to me the way that I feel my dad with me. Um, And it's funny because in the past, like, I might have heard something like that and been like, wow, that's like, that's really cool. You know, like, that's cool that you feel the presence of, you know, maybe from a rational point of view, it's like, we don't know who's in heaven or hell or whatever. We don't know who goes to purgatory. And I'm like, "Um, no, like, uh, maybe my dad's in purgatory, maybe he's in heaven. I know he's not in hell. I know he's there with me. And I know that he can't wait to to receive me in heaven. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Mass is the singular most beautiful thing that we have on this earth, and now it's even more so because I get to spend time with my dad when I go. Man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's an awesome perspective, an awesome gift. That's grace, if I've ever heard it. Um, It's just awesome, man. Um, Just to change gears a little bit, you know, talking about, you know, salvation, talking about his soul. I mean, another amazing gift is the sacrament of, you know, anointing of the sick, which, you know, again, it's the gift that you're, you know, that your dad got to receive obviously in the last few weeks of his life so i mean if you can you can you speak on that on 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 what that sacrament was like because that's actually personally i'm sure that's one that most people have never witnessed or seen Mm. um were you present for it or or did you well was who was or or, there was there was some really like just all the things that came together with this whole saga like sacramentally I mean, I've already talked about the Eucharist and how much that has come to mean in a new way. 
I'll say this. Um, as far as the anointing goes, we anointed him. We didn't anoint him. A priest came to anoint him um, at some point in the first couple of weeks of him being sick. Um, I think maybe our parish priest went to do it. Uh, I honestly don't remember who it was. Um, but he was asleep for it. The last time I saw him in the hospital, um, my wife was with me, or my fiancé at the time, because they finally opened it up to let two people in at a time. It was the only time she got to see him in the hospital, um, and it was the day before he died. It was on a Sunday. And we saw him, and we drove back to Long Island afterwards. But when we saw him, we left the hospital, and... As we're walking out back towards the parking garage, there was a Catholic priest walking in. And it was the local priest from the parish there. He was going to um, visit, I think it might have been a parishioner who was in the hospital. And I, I just stopped him and said, oh, are you the, are you the um, chaplain here? And I said, no, not really. Uh, like, I'm, the, I'm just going to see somebody. And I said, he, he kind of... We talked a little bit and kind of asked, like, oh, do you know somebody here? I said, yeah, my father's in the hospital. Um, Listen, would you mind seeing him and just praying for him? And he asked, he's like, where, where is he? So I told him the room number and the name. And I didn't go with him. I, don't, I didn't know if he was going to go see him or what he was going to do. Um, and then the next day, my dad died. But the nurse told us that the priest came to see him that day and he anointed him again. I can't tell you what a gift that was um, to know that he was sealed with that, with the, the oil, the, the, the holy oil. Um, you know, I'm not, maybe I don't know the theology behind the anointing of the sick all that well, but I'm pretty fairly confident that you get a, a good good grace towards heaven with that. So, I you know, there was a lot of stuff, you know. Like, my dad didn't go to confession for years. And then that, I think it was that January, we were out in Indiana um, for my nephew's baptism. And my older brother got him to go to confession with him. Wow. Like, three months before, four months before he died. Four or five months, however long. Um after probably decades of not going. Um, oh, so when you say years, it's just like you're talking about the like years, man. I think so, yeah. I think my entire life. I don't know about my entire life, but a majority of my life. Wow. Um, like, I'm not saying all of this was happening because it was leading towards him dying, definitely, but I'm very, very glad that he did get to take advantage of those sacraments before he died. Um, I think it took a lot of weight off of his soul and I don't know. I, uh, I'm extremely grateful for that. I'm extremely grateful for that priest. I think the world needs more priests, um, to be able to be there for people in these kind of desperate situations. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, to transition to, uh, you know, another question that I had, and it, it actually, it's a good segue because we're talking about, you know, just support and needing more people like that. And like, 
the the one thing that I saw throughout those two months were how much you were there for your family. Um, and I know just in short conversations that I've had with them of how how appreciative they were of you. Uh, and the one thing that I realized is that the person who was supporting you was your future wife, you know, Julie at the time. And, you know, talking about putting people in your life with the, for the right time, uh, in the right time. Uh, I mean, Julia being there for you, if you could just, you know, talk about what her role was with you and how supportive she was. I, I mean, I, I saw it first, literally firsthand and, and how not even married at the time, but she was there with you every step of the way above and beyond. If you could just, you know, speak to the importance of having her in your life at the time. She, she fulfilled her marriage vows before we were married. She defined selfless, sacrificial love for me in so many ways over that period of time. I mean, drop of a hat. She was ready to leave work and come with me. Um, when I went to Jersey for probably a dozen times over those few weeks, you know, back and forth. Um, she was there with me in all of the aftermath. Um, it was there praying alongside us all the way through, um, got extremely close with my family, she and my sister-in-law and my future sister-in-law, they're all like great friends now. Um, largely as a result of all of that situation um, and just how close we all got emotionally and everything. Um, she dealt with me and just not dealt with me, but like really was just graceful in the way that she was there for me over the following months where I was just an emotional wreck. And even now, like we'll just break down crying at different times when um, my dad comes to mind and just re like mentally revisiting that whole area. I mean, we were seven months out from our wedding when my dad died. So we were very much in wedding planning and we'd still had to make it like finalize a guest list and send out save the dates and invitations and book flowers and transportation and finalize things with the hotels and all this stuff and so many details. And she just handled like 99% of all of that and dealt with me like, and it like really handled me very well when, uh, you know, I'd talk about the wedding and be like, it's going to be the greatest day of my life, but it's also going to be one of the saddest days of my life. And like, I probably said that multiple times and she never liked hearing it. I didn't like hearing it come out of my mouth, but she always understood where I was coming from and would kind of like gently kind of help me understand, like, he's going to be there with us. It's still going to be an incredible day, like the greatest day. And it was, I, I have... Like, looking at back at our wedding day, like, it was, I'll never have a better day than that. I don't know, maybe once I have a kid, I'll have a different idea. But for now, like, I'll never have a better day than that. Because everything that she did for me over the course of those weeks, I got to publicly commit to doing the same thing for her in the future. And really just, like, like show the world that this kind of love does exist. And she really just showed me what it looked like. And now all I can do is try to be there for her um, in the same way. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And uh, honestly, we just talked about a lot of stuff, man. Um, 
the the one thing that I'm going to ask you to do before we close out tonight is, unfortunately, you know, we're, we all, we all have an expiration date on this earth and some of our loved ones are going to go before us. Um, so, you know, what parishioner to parishioner, right? What advice, practical advice would you have based on your experience would you have for people who are still struggling with the loss of a loved one and or literally going through it as they listen, you know, uh, you know, what, what advice would you have parishioner to parishioner? Hmm. Come Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> um, I think I'm just trying to think of how I reflected on my dad. It's tough because you, for me, like I want to try to frame things in like a theological, like a mystical worldview. Like this world is not our final destination. Like to your, like you said, we're all going to die. And that's something we all need to remember. It's just, it's terrible when somebody goes a lot sooner than you think they're going to. I think when somebody's like elderly and has health issues and everything, um, 80s and 90s in age, like it doesn't make it any easier necessarily, but you kind of understand it more. But when it's your parent, when you're in your 20s or your 30s and they're, you would assume that they have another 20 years left or maybe much, much worse when you're a parent and your child dies or, you know, one of your best friends dies when you're young or any kind of situation like that. It's just so much harder to understand. I would just impress upon everybody the importance of reflecting on that person's life, reflecting on the virtues that they embodied and really trying to understand how God might have been working through them in their life. Um, every, you know, you can certainly understand that maybe there was more for them to do. Maybe you can, you can have that thought. Um, but like focus on what they did, focus on the, the incredible things that they were able to do on this earth. Um, I know in my eulogy, I talked about how involved my dad was in his community and how, you know, he was always there whenever I needed something. I told the story about how my car broke down in Queens when he was in, and he was in northern New Jersey and he drove an hour and a half to come help me fix my car because I didn't know how. Like, out just random Sunday night, I think it was. Um, and how, like, how much he invested in, in his church community as well. Like these, these were things that I really hoped to carry forward in my life. And those are like the lessons that I can take away from him. If you have somebody close to you that died, I would try to, I would really encourage you to try to do the same thing. Um, it's not easy and it will never be easy. I don't think. And it will always be a question of why. Ultimately it's really just trust that, you know, we're all, we're all agents in this world, right? We're all created in this world for a purpose and we try our best to fulfill that purpose. And we don't know when that purpose purpose is fulfilled or what even that is a lot of the time, but we just use the tools God gave us. We pray that he gives us the guidance and we hope that at the end we can join him in heaven and join our loved ones in heaven. Um, 
Maybe that's the best takeaway. Live your life in a way that you'll be able to see your loved ones again. I think that's it. It's great. And that, that grief that we all carry around when we lose a loved one, that, that's okay. It's okay, right? Shortest sentence in the Bible. What is it? Come on. Jesus wept. Jesus wept, man. I was going to say it is finished. No, no, no. Jesus, Jesus wept. wept. You know, if he did it, we can do it. So that grief is okay. Uh, but your takeaway is, is, uh, is amazing. I'll leave with one more takeaway. And I'm going to quote uh, Marvel's WandaVision. I know. I'm going there. I went with Scrubs before. I'm going with Marvel's WandaVision. There you go. But a phenomenal line that my wife and I just reheard the other day is, what is grief, if not love, enduring? What? Like, yeah. It's one of the truest, truest sentences I've ever heard. Who thought? Who, who knew it would come from Marvel? Oh, it's amazing. But what is grief, if not love, enduring? So, uh, man, just... Thank you for having the energy and, and being able to open up. And it, it all comes from your heart of wanting to share and, and help evangelize as a parishioner to a parishioner. Um, as a listener, I, I hope I hope you took a lot out of today. I know I did. And uh, like we said in the past, we're, we're, we're happy to be back. Um, and we're going to try to stay as consistent as possible and, and be with you guys uh, through your highs, through your lows. Uh, and um, we hope that you're able to share our stories. I hope you're able to share stories that we're able to uh, to encounter ourselves in the future. Um, so we're going to ask you to share the podcast like you've done in the past. We appreciate it. Uh, connect with us on Instagram at Just a Parishioner, on Facebook.com slash Just a Parishioner. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, don't forget to rate us, you know, connect with us. We're back, guys, and and uh, we couldn't be more grateful for you. So thank you very much. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>